0: On today's episode, I interviewed Ed Lee, who is a senior rehab strength and conditioning coach at Harlequins Rugby in the UK. The main focus of this podcast was training while injured, so being able to work on the part that is injured while still being in the best condition as possible and still training other body parts um, when possible. So we talked a little bit about Ed's current position as it is one that is not that common in the industry at the moment, being that rehab strength coach kind of having a split between the long-term injured while still doing the normal strength and conditioning stuff. Uh, we also talked about what to con- were what uh, he really considers when a player does get injured, um, What uh, w- within that meeting, what kind of first happens. We talked about the three commonly injured areas being the ankle, the knee, the- and the shoulder in ways that he trains around those while um, still working on the injury, but still being able to train and keep that player in the best shape as possible. We talked about his opinion on maintenance programs post-injury. So after someone comes back from an injury, if they still work on some stuff to try and reduce the risk of that happening again then we also talked about kind of his check boxes for when a player goes back um, to playing what he thinks he needs to be done whether that be any specific tests or just a conversation with them. we talked a little bit about neck training um, and how he implements that in rugby so really great episode here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please have a listen and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links, I am Patrick Wood, your host, and today I have on Ed Lee, who is a senior strength and con- se- senior rehab strength and conditioning coach at Harlequins Rugby in the UK. Um, so I had him on because today I, feel I wanted to talk about the topic training around injuries when I feel like rehab is usually focused a lot on the injury, but it might not always be focused on keeping that player at a high level in order to perform when they're done with their injury. So I heard Ed on a podcast and I thought um, he did a good job talking about this. So I appreciate you being on, Ed. Um, First off, if we could just kind of have you introduce yourself, tell a little bit of a background, um, how you got into strength and conditioning, and then uh, I guess a little bit about your position currently. Cool. Uh,
1: Yep. so I'm Ed Lee. Um, Currently work at Harlequins Rugby Club. Um, And about – so I did my internship with Harlequins 10 years ago, full-time internship. But prior to that, I did a sports science degree um, at Cardiff University. Um, And actually, at the time, I didn't really know or – I hadn't really clicked that strength and conditioning was an actual job it sounds probably quite stupid being in a position i'm in now but i just kind of thought that professional athletes prep themselves and they probably had somebody some pts outside and i didn't i didn't really put two and two together so i didn't definitely wasn't at university to go down this path um, and quite honestly i didn't really know it was a, it was probably more of a stopgap um, and then after university started working as a, a pt because of the degree allowed me to get the qualifications and then was fortunate enough through some tentative links uh, down down the line that I got introduced to John Dams, who was the head of performance at the time at Harlequins. Um, did it a full time internship there for a year, ten years ago as I said, and then after that I then did a um, did a fight camp for a fighter in Bama, which is the British version of well, not actually definitely not the British version of the UFC, but it's it is cage fighting, but it's like almost like lower leagues you'd do that to move into the UFC. Um, it was re- good fun, really good fun. Um, eight weeks, and then the guy gets knocked out in 30 seconds. So it's, it kind of, for me, that was um, a bit of a nail in the coffin for me with cage fighting. I thought, well, it's. although I understand there's um, lots of very successful strength coaches and conditioning coaches within MMA, it's not something I wanted to take the risk that actually there's you could just be over like that. So then I, then I was fortunate to get a job with London Broncos Rugby League, and uh, did that for two and a half years um, from leading the academy strength conditioning to assisting with the first team and then got an opportunity to go to New Zealand to work in their ITM Cup which is the one below their Super Rugby um, did that for a season and then whilst I was there deciding whether I was going to stay there or not and try and make a career out of it in New Zealand I got offered a job back in back at Harlequins and that was nearly seven years ago now, um, seven or six years, it, it all blends into one, um, and then so I went back there, and from that I did the first year I was in academy, doing their strength and conditioning and that, then got bumped up to the senior side, and then about three and a half years ago, maybe four years ago, took on the long-term injured role, looked after all the, essentially anybody that's out for longer than six weeks, surgical or non-surgical, that's comes under my remit, so I take them from day one of the injury, if that allows, um, to their full return. Um, and the roles kind of change slightly now. So what happens is, uh, previously, and there you could definitely see the uh, the cracks in the in the role that when you would return them, there'd be a handover process where I'd hand them back to Coach X or Coach Y. Um, and now what happens is, I look after all the long-term injured backs so that's we have a guy that looks after long-term injured forwards and obviously then you start to see common injuries within that so as you can imagine with the forwards there'd be a lot of shoulder and neck issues and probably some lower back issues and with with my lot there'd be hamstrings calf hips all that probably all the high speed running injuries soft tissue injuries you'd get and then obviously the, the much more severe ones um and then what what that does is it allows actually the handover to just be almost non-existent because I'm just I then continue to work with them whilst they're they're fit so it's me and another guy called Gaz Tong who's actually our head of athletic performance we program and look after all the backs so actually once a player comes back to full injury he just blends into the program I'm I'm with him throughout the injury process and the non-injured process so it's like for, for the athlete it's fairly seamless so so yeah that's that's my current role at the moment
0: and then do you kind of collaborate with the physios uh, along with that throughout the whole entire process as well
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's um, we have a a guy called Elliot Clark, who's fantastic physio. He looks after, well, he runs the long term injured from a physio side of things. Doesn't necessarily mean he will look after every single long term injured, because obviously the physios looking after forwards and backs. So we've had times where we've had sixteen long term classified injured, which obviously one physio can't do. And we're fortunate enough Mm -hmm. to have a great bunch of physios. Um, We've got five. Five in total, uh, four. Sorry, four in total, um, and so they split it out between that. So yes, it's it's kind of it's there's a there's a process we go through as a team, and it's communication is a big thing for us, and it's something that we've had to work on as well. I think in yeah. the past when I first joined Harlequins, it was physio, S and C, and that was it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely been a um, it's been a work on, but actually we're at a really good position now where it's just everything's integrated and it's all combined
0: nice and that's um so in in the places you've worked before i we talked a little bit beforehand but this is kind of a newer role correct from what you've seen in the past in in the whole um uh, athletic setting
1: yeah yeah i mean i think uh, there's definitely buzzwords out there in the industry now like the return to play Mm -hmm. return to performance that um and i think previously it's just been and not actually not even necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but I think there's it's just been that there's been an SNC coach and a physio and they've looked after injured or non injured. And I think it's now time to specialise in something. And it does definitely doesn't mean that you have to have one person to do everything. And I don't think you should, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you're trying to do everything, if you're a jack of all trades, then you're not going to specialise in one area. So I think you definitely need a long term injured strength coach. And it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that that has to be their entire job mine is probably a, a 60-40 split so 60% of the time I look after and my thoughts are around the long term injured 40% of the time around the, the non-injured um, so I don't I don't think you necessarily need to just have a, a role devoted to it yep. um, my eyes were kind of opened um, when I first started the role I thought well I need to go and have a look at other people around and see what they do um, and not just go to clubs and say what's your injury process to actually find out somebody that does the role that I was walking into or stepping mm. into um, and see what they do so I went to go over. I went over to Leinster and saw Dermot Brennan yep. who's their rehab strength coach out there and he's fantastic he was so open um, and transparent with his process and that was a big thing for me that kind of set me on my path of how I thought things should be done Um yep he was a huge influence on me um, and we chat now as well um and just kind of bounce my ideas off and yeah that's brilliant so yeah it's a long way of saying it is a I'd say it is a new role yep. um, I was always aware there were people looking after athletes throughout the rehab process but I think in the past 5 years it's become more yeah. specialist and I think you'll see 10 years down the line there'll be because it, it's all in my mind it's always favored the physio Rehab has yeah. always been seen as a physio thing, um, mm-hmm. whereas actually both physios and strength coaches or whatever they want to be called these days have ideas and specialist views that are really key within the rehab process.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. so what would you do, I guess, how much difference, or what would the main difference be between you and a physio during this process? Um, or is there one?
1: Do you know what? It's, it's getting less and less. I would just say it's the... What we're used to doing is... Is, is different. So, for example, um, a physio is obviously hands on therapy, a lot of on the bed stuff, a lot of the the early stage rehabilitation. They mm-hmm. obviously understand the, the tissue healing and the bone healing process in more depth than I would. Yep. Um, and that's something that I'm definitely slowly learning. And I've you, you have to you have to start pushing mm-hmm. yourself to that. Um, but their specialities um, and education is around the healing process. Pain management, yep. all of that stuff, and how to how to safely get somebody back to lifting. Mm-hmm. I would say my specialities or the strength and conditioning world should be if you're in this role is um, movement competency, um, strength training, speed training, running, all of that stuff. So yeah. okay,
0: and so I guess let's go. So an, an athlete gets injured. What yeah. would you say are the biggest things to consider as soon as this happens? Or um, like if you have a meeting, sit down with the athlete, have a meeting, have a meeting with the team. Um, and then what would you say are the main points for the coaches and the athletes to go about as soon as that first thing happens?
1: I would, for me, it, the the words used too much, holistic, but it is a holistic approach. I think you have to look at the, the whole process. I think the, the number one thing that I think people forget is that These players go from being paid to do their job to being paid to not do their job. And in no other walk of life would you be asked to go into work and do nothing. And you might think that sounds quite good, but for the first week it might be good. But then when you see everybody else performing around you, you... If you're an ACL guy and you're out for up to a year, nine months to a year that's a long time to not do your job and not feel like you're mm-hmm. you're doing anything. So there's definitely the the mental welfare management of the, the player is key. It doesn't have to overtake the whole thing. There just needs to be an open conversation between everybody really. Um, but from our side of things, what happens initially is there's a meeting between the lead physio and the lead S&C. Um, and it, it's just a very clear outline of what our markers are. Um, mm-hmm. And we condense it down. So you might look at, let's say it is a hamstring injury you're going to have to look at where the injury happened distal proximal what the mechanism of injury was so therefore that's going to have to be a slight consideration so there's difference between um, hamstring tear over the ball jackling, trying to pull the ball to a high speed running injury the, the way that I'd say that 60% of the the stuff you're going to do in the rehab is similar but 40% is going to be fairly specific to that injury so therefore you have to outline all of that Um and then from there, we then pick exercises that we say, right, we're going to hang our hat on this. Because you kind of for us, you have to say, is he back to a level of strength or level of performance that we're happy with? And you have to have, as much mm-hmm. as I would like to just be able to turn around and say, yeah, he looks really good. You have to have some objective markers where you can say he's back to 90% strength within 10% left to right, 5%, whatever you decide is important. There's going to have to be that. So that initial meeting happens. Then the meeting between an athlete, and that can be a very casual meeting. It doesn't have to be a sit-down meeting. It's just they understand that they're now in the injury process, and this is what's going to happen. Um, and one of the big things they have to get used to is energy expenditure and the lack of it now and how we're going to mm-hmm. have to fill that time. And that's a big thing, and you might have heard in the previous podcast, with an Informed yeah. Performance. That's a big thing for me. They go from doing so much to nothing. So therefore, you have to kind of put something in place to make sure that stays there. Now, obviously, if the injury allows it, then yeah, that's that's brilliant. If, if they're immobile, then they're immobile. You, you can't just get them doing stuff for the sake of it. But the more you can add in early doors, the better. You don't want to be cramming in things towards the end. And that definitely counts for energy expenditure and activity throughout the day. If they go from... I think one of the issues at the moment in rehab is that people try and increase something every single session and they don't have to you try and add in as much as you can early on safely so that by the end you're not cramming or having huge spikes in load um, or contact so that's Mm. for me that's another thing just them understanding that yes they're in the injury process they're following a new schedule um, they're not necessarily having off days when the other players are having off days and yeah that sucks but you're injured Um, and then Filling their time appropriately, um, and that's mm. the that's the other thing, and then and then allowing them to realise that there's there's an opportunity here to work on nagging areas or work on areas where they maybe haven't had time to work on, um, whilst they were fit and healthy. So you might look at say um, body composition or like education around certain things is a big thing. So education around why their body composition or why their nutrition maybe isn't up to scratch. Um, mm-hmm. That could be a good thing. Not not necessarily, not necessarily saying that's something that we don't do when they're fit and healthy, but they obviously have a little bit more downtime than the other players do. So therefore, look, let's take this opportunity to educate you around why we do certain recovery modalities, like try out lots, see what works for you so that when you do fit back in, then it's part of your routine. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that was a good point. I like that how, like I said, instead of just thinking, all right, we need to fix your injury or get you back playing, it's let's focus on something that we can improve upon during this time. Yeah. I know you said the body composition thing, and I obviously like no names and stuff, but do you have any other either, um, I guess, hypothetical examples or just um, ways that you took this time to work on a weakness and kind of um, improve improve upon that? Yeah,
1: I mean – I mean, I would have no issues naming names. It's just that we've got so many people that we've used it with that you'd be here listing loads. But the two areas I try and look at, especially throughout the injury period, are body composition and recovery. And it's just firstly with recovery, it's about understanding that the placebo effect has a lot to, to to stand for. It's yeah, and you've got to try lots of different things. If you go into a recovery modality and you you're hating it. If you hate cold water immersion as much as you like it, but sorry, as much as you dis um as much as I sorry feel like it might be beneficial for the for the player. If if mm-hmm. I dre- if the player dreads cold water baths, it's probably not going to have the same effect. So I think take that time to try out different modalities, take your time, see what works for you um and then really hone in on it. And then on the body composition side, it's just an education around firstly your diet's going to change when you're injured whether that's through uh, means of trying to increase the anti-inflammatory foods or whether that's just through just being a bit more sensible with actually the calories you take in um, so in terms of what I've used in the past there's been countless different things I've used and we no. I use the nutritionist a lot um, and our sports scientist Tom Batcher's is fantastic around recovery, regeneration whatever you want to call it um, so it's just that I take the time to educate the player more than anything, um, so okay. it wouldn't necessarily be like I think people want to use it as a time to work on weaknesses, and yeah, that's fine. That's that uh, that's inevitable. I think what people miss is there's a real key time here to educate somebody, um, and also from a rugby side of things, which I don't necessarily get involved with, but it's something that um, our players do a lot. It's the coaches use that time for those players to get a lot better at public speaking in front of the players so they might go to Athlete X and say look you're going to prep for the Leicester game next week I want you to present to the the team on their defensive structure so it just adds more strings to the bow for them as a human Mm -hmm. because their career is over at 34 brilliant (laughs) so they're they're used to a rugby career where it's not the most PC it's not the easiest lifestyle to have so why not take this time, this unique time when they're injured, to better them as a human?
0: Mm-hmm. And a
1: lot of those guys, especially not every person that gets injured is a big name within the team. So therefore, not every person that gets injured has always had a voice within the team. So really use this time. And I think our coaches do that fantastically, where they're kind of thrown into the deep end. In front, You might get a guy that's two years into the team, he's third choice winger. And he's currently presenting to England internationals on defence now you're not going to be right every single time but it's a fantastic way to improve somebody Um, so I think yeah so definitely from that holistic side of things I think that's what I would look at rather than saying let's try and add some and obviously there's definitely times to say look if somebody needs to add a bit of muscle mass then fine but I mean that's easy I mean personally I don't find that as a that's not a challenging thing but yeah
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, I've never heard of coaches necessarily doing that um, when, like, to get their players to speak. So three common areas I think that are usually injured are going to be shoulder, knee, and ankle. I feel like those are um, common injury points. So I guess um, something I'd like to do, uh, these are just going to be kind of just some general examples or just ideas you have since this is kind of your specialty of ways to still get the athlete to train kind of around these injuries while, well, I guess, obviously working on the actual injured point. So if we kind of start with the shoulder and we'll make maybe break it down into two categories for each main injured body, body part of like a kind of what you do conditioning wise to keep them fit for that and then what yeah. you implement strength wise. So just some ideas for either players or coaches or whatever um, with these common injured points of ways they can kind of work around it and still get some work in, not just, you know, do the rehab for the place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean shoulder to me is a fairly easy one because obviously I would say upper body condition. So if somebody has got a lower body injury, I'd find that maintaining some form of fitness, cardiovascular fitness is quite tough because mm-hmm. ski erg's fine. But I mean, you're not going to be able to do steady state on a ski erg R- <laughs> rowing is obviously it's a fairly total body, but you can go up body. At, I think your upper body is a, a challenging area to maintain your general fitness with. Um, mm. So in terms of a shoulder injury, I think one thing that I look at is trying to maintain some form of speed in the legs. So especially with the backs, they might just actually getting their legs moving quickly is a big thing. So I utilize the watt bike a lot. Um, So whether, and I kind of vary up, they might have um, two long, long duration bikes. So I'd say long in terms of between 45 and 60 minutes um, and just slowly increasing the intensity of that over the weeks then you might have some well, what we we coin a tempo watt bike session so it'd be 20 seconds of relatively hard exertion into 40 seconds of easy um, and doing that 20 to 30 times and then also having um, you wouldn't call it a speed session as such but just getting their legs moving fast so whether it's six 10 second efforts or um, that kind of around that um, so that's for me that's something that I tend to utilize a decent amount um also just you you can just be creative and this goes for all the exercises sorry for all the the body parts just be creative see what works um find what they used to do and just regress it back completely um and in terms of strength we're lucky that we've got a belt squat leg press all of that stuff so maintaining strength in the lower body is fine um and obviously then um, contractual work on the other side so if you've injured your left shoulder doing um, weights on your right side having the, the crossover effect and the neural effect um, whether or not the the science is there um, and there's some decent studies out there saying that it's it's beneficial
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's if nothing else it just maintains muscle mass on the other side so that you're not worrying about mm-hmm. two sides when they're coming back from injury so um Hopefully, that answers that question. I think. I think to be honest, it probably ties in to the other areas as well. Um, yep. So if you're looking at the ankle, knee, hip, what, back, what, however you look at it, I think the easiest thing to do, and uh, the, in the initial stages of me, me doing this, role I used to write down all the exercises they did do, and then regress yep. it. Now I don't actually have to physically write it down. I just in my head. I just kind of, I've had enough experience now where I know what they can and can't do. But you just, you literally just regress back until you find what they can do or can't do you some sometimes you can't do what you want to do so Mm it's just something that um you just have to accept um and then and kind of there's no stupid idea really Mm -hmm. so a lot of the time for example shoulder injuries sometimes just running normally might have like let's say you've had a latige on your shoulder so actually a lot of bouncing isn't good or a lot of movement isn't good so one thing we we have got the guys doing when we want to run them, if, if their lower body is fine to run, but their upper body, the movement doesn't allow, we just got them to hold a ball, football, rugby ball, American football, and just keeps it locked in place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it actually restricts the movement. People probably think that because rugby players tend to have a lot of swing when they're opening up, that would be dangerous. But if you get them to actually lock the ball and hold it as if they're going into contact, that's allowed us to start running earlier than we might normally Um so it's just about getting creative, and yeah, going from, and that counts for jumps as well. We've got people doing jumps early on, holding a rugby ball, um, and it's definitely not to be specific. It's just in order to restrict movement in the joint. Um, yeah, yeah. I've—I I mean, it sounds funny, but I've even gone to the point of getting a guy to hold a basketball just so that they don't think that I'm trying to be rugby specific. It's just. <laughs> i want them yeah. to hold something to stop them from moving so i think is yeah. it might answer the whole question in one about just you have to look at what you used to do and then regress back from there really yeah um, in 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 my in my case it's and then you then you got to look at what you need to get out of the the exercise and i think for yeah. for me it comes down to probably three things firstly the energy expenditure so what are you going to what's going to Increase the activity as much as possible whilst being safe. Um, yep. The other one is: Are you looking to main, maintain muscle mass, and mm-hmm. therefore, is this the best protocol for it? Are you looking you're looking for the the biggest movements for the for the smallest expenditure? So you kind of there's no point in banging out seven different bicep exercises when you can do a big pull exercise and probably try and get as much out of that as possible. And then the other thing as well is it comes down to competition. Again, yep. they go from, much like the energy expenditure, they go from competing every day to not competing. So if there's a, a guy who's injured at the same time, has the same type of injury, whatever, try and get them to work together. Um, okay. And then in the same vein, I try and include a lot of the players in the non-injured sessions. So if they're, for example, if one player's got a lower body injury and they can do upper body injury, they can do so, they can do upper body weights, I'd get them involved in the main squad session after body weights just to maintain that camaraderie. So it's, yeah, hopefully i I think I've gone around ra- a bit of a roundabout way of answering that, but yeah.
0: Um, no, that's really good. Um, do you, do you mind just doing, uh, I guess a couple of, you just, you can like group them in one, I guess, but if someone does have a lower body injury, just a couple of examples for if athletes are just still trying to work around, like, how do I keep fit? Uh, I know you mentioned like the skier and stuff like that. Um, is there anything else? Um, just though for the a general lower body exercise for a strength and a conditioning, um, exercise.
1: I mean, in terms of maintaining fitness for us, it, it does just still revolve around the, the bike, the echo bike, upper body stuff we're we're fortunate we've got um use of an arm grinder as well so i don't know if you've seen them, seen yeah. them before yeah so we, we utilize that a lot a lot of boxing um okay yeah so uh, there's almost not specific it's, it's hard to answer because there's not specific
0: yeah.
1: exercises protocols that i would use it's very much for example i've i've got one current injured guy that's england international he's 34 years old mm. um his body's probably not in the, the, the best position to be doing a ski erg for ages and ages and ages. He's a fit and healthy guy and he's, yeah. he's done well by keeping himself fit and healthy but he's, he's put his body through a whole load so doing a ski erg for loads of time probably isn't the most beneficial thing so it's just a lot of mixture between shorter intervals working for a longer period of time um, yeah. and, you can, and you can almost go back to like I, I utilise say if somebody's got lower body injuries I instead of just pounding out um the skier i use what i would call kind of interval weight training so you choose four exercises push pull shoulder and a bicep let's say and you do one exercise every 30 seconds and you do yeah. that say for eight to ten rounds um, and that might be one of his upper body weight sessions a week so it just yeah. it keeps a heart rate up the guy is it's tough it's challenging um and you can vary that up if you want a bit that's i'd tend to keep that a higher rep range so 10 to 12 um, and then if you want a bit more of a strength stimulus but down kind of the same route you might go every minute but add just make sure they go a bit heavier so just kind of playing around with things um, decreasing the rest intervals in your weights is a great way um, that's for, for me yeah it just you don't necessarily have to change a whole load it's just playing around with different things and see see what's works see what works for you yeah
0: yeah and i understand it. there's not really a protocol and it's de- definitely dependent on the athlete but i just think yeah. um with your experience just giving some of those examples might really help some people out with just some different ideas and yeah you know, so they can get creative themselves yep. um I guess, so if a player, when you do kind of say a player, however you want to phrase it, returning to their sport, um, starting to participate again, um, once they kind of go back to that level, do you try to make sure you still have um, some sort of maintenance ongoing with them as well? Um, Or kind of how long, if you do that maintenance, um, do you do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I guess the best way to describe it or or using an analogy would be like if you were – If you added a new plant to a garden, you wouldn't then just Mm -hmm. ignore it now that it's planted. You'd just kind (laughs) of maintain it, but it doesn't become your only focus. So if somebody somebody returns, firstly, there's got to be a conversation around, were they strong enough prior to the injury? If yes, brilliant. It's just an unfortunate case. If no, then what do we have to be doing to get them fit and healthy and what do we have to do to make sure they don't get re-injured now it once they're back in it, you definitely don't have to just focus solely on it because don't forget you've added everything else in so they've if it is a hamstring injury for example you might look at what the main squad's doing and you might say actually we feel that's enough for this guy to maintain his strength um if if it's not, then you've got to look at it in a fairly sensible fashion and say, okay, fine. They need a they need a bit extra, but where in their week can they fit it? Because don't forget they're now back playing rugby, so you can't then just start throwing in exercises left, right, and centre, and say, well, you're injured, so you need to stay on top of it. Because then you've just added everything else on top of what they previously did before they were injured. So mm-hmm. it's you. You definitely have to look to stay on top of things. Um, and we're really fortunate that the players and, and I guess you'd probably say this for every single club the players don't want to get re-injured so mm-hmm. they will definitely do the minimum they have to do now a lot some players will forget and that's that's fine it's it's our job to stay on top of their injury um, but I think you've got to look at is it sensible to continue to try and push this injured site and maintain it you've got to look at what their whole week involves um and then where it fits fits in if it's needed sometimes it's not needed i'd say it's a 50 50 for me personally um you got somebody that has an acl injury yes that's going to be something you're going to have to continue to look at quad size is going to be a big thing um maintaining high speed running some change direction making sure they're getting that in there other injuries are just unfortunate injuries like a bone break there's there's not a lot you're going to be doing around that. You've got to respect the tissue and healing time. That's the other thing that's probably key is that we're putting these guys back into playing rugby before they're probably healed in the general term. Um, like we, we know that if a bone breaks, you're going to be back playing rugby in, well, depending on what it is, six to 12 weeks. That does not mean that that bone is fully healed. There's going to be a probably close to a full year before that bone is genuinely healed Properly, where you'd you'd look at it and say everything's fallen back together so there's definitely that side of things um so yeah hopefully that answers your question
0: yeah yeah no for sure um and then i guess a rule you hear quite a bit um is you want you know before you turn them before you let them go back you want their injured side to be 90 percent of their uninjured side so i guess um Either for this question, you can either answer of kind of how you feel about that, if you guys go about that, or just in general, maybe some common injuries um, or just common uh, tests you guys do to say, you know, like this person is ready to go start going back. Yeah.
1: I mean, yes, I I definitely feel that that you have to have that conversation. As I said at at the beginning, when we sit down with the physios, we look and see what strength levels we are happy with them to return with and our returning counts for a lot of stuff like there's different so returning to running is very different returning to playing so mm-hmm. where are we happy and we probably tend to fit if it's lower body injury is probably the easiest one to look at in terms of this aspect um you'd probably be looking at and again obviously you could you could speak for a whole hour on just this but it's um you've got to look at what's a safe level of strength where they can run now we do a lot of jump series with say lower body injuries so, let's say it's a calf injury. We have some remedial jump series we use a lot so by the time they 've done over the course of a week a thousand contacts of jumping. this is not plyometric. this is just small remedial jumps they're probably ready to jog, so therefore that we deem that as a, a decent level of strength um, uh and then in terms of sprinting, we then probably look at eighty five to ninety percent of previous strength um and then within five percent, left or right, um, and then actually, in terms of just them being a fit and healthy player, it then goes back to were they strong enough to begin with, um, and then, then that's a question you as a um, as a team need to decide whether your number is nineteen ninety five, whatever it is, hang your hat on and don't change from it, um, mm-hmm. and that will, over the course of time, once you start reviewing lots of different injuries that's where things will change you might for example we, we've had this chat many a time where it we would say right we feel that 85% of previous strength on the hamstring or so let's say a Nordic curl is, is good and actually the guy returns and we're like no oh, shit he wasn't he probably wasn't ready and we got away mm-hmm. with it so actually we probably need to be a bit more um uh, a bit more focused in on the strength and say actually we're going to push it to 90% strength other injuries you might say actually you can probably get away with doing some decent amount of rugby at 80% strength it's it's about the experience and learning from previous injuries um, and then it's not all necessarily about strength have they restored their their full or their normal range of motion to it uh, because sometimes for example a latage, um on a shoulder a lot of guys completely or lose a decent amount of range so therefore that fully that completely changes their makeup of their shoulder and that that girdle and the muscle around the shoulder so it's that's gonna to have to be taken into consideration because if you're saying they definitely have to be at 95 percent strength i've had guys that have returned from a latter and they just they can't get anywhere near it because they just don't have the range of motion so therefore you've got to say are they able to perform and then that goes yeah. to that That's a very general term i understand but it's you've you've got to look at at the end of the day they've got to tackle and get off the ground so who cares if their dumbbell press is now 10kgs down <laughs> if they're getting no pain and they're whacking people
0: mm.
1: and they're maintaining that strength that's the other thing if they let's say player X goes into his first week of training and he's flat pressing 40kgs single arm for 5 and then 2 weeks down the line you realise he's down at 30 be like okay there's the, you, we're going to have to adjust something here because he's losing strength now whereas mm-hmm. if he's not as strong as he was but he just can't go anymore and you've been pushing and pushing and pushing no pun intended but pushing <laughs> he sometimes you might just have to accept that that's going to be him from now on mm-hmm. um, and if he can perform safely and doesn't lose strength on whether it's on the bed with the physios or in the gym with me um and his gatherer scores are up there, whatever you deem your tests are, then that's what you hang your hat on. Um, so, yeah, I think that you hear 90% thrown out or around a lot, but sometimes you have to step back and say, is 90% enough or is it too much? I think you have to review everything all the time. Yeah, um, makes sense. Hopefully that answered your question.
0: Yeah. Do you guys use any form of like a mental or confidence type questionnaire to coming back from injuries? Um,
1: not a questionnaire. It's just an open conversation. Yep. Um, I think I'm fairly fortunate that I probably try and put a lot of time and effort into building a decent rapport with the players. And because of, going back to the the introduction, because of the job role, I'm dealing with the guys 365 days a year. They don't just see me as this person that is when they get injured I come out of the, the cupboard and grab them and pull them into the injured group it's not like whether they're fit and healthy you just have a report all year round so it's mm-hmm. it's just a, a conversation you can't yep. beat a conversation and you yep. hear it so much these days but I don't feel people actually do it a lot I think people rely on we, we so for example we have Kitman which is a, um, a essentially just stores data so whether it's strength data, screening data well-being, we have a well-being questionnaire that all the players answer in the morning but that well-being questionnaire is there to prompt a conversation Mm -hmm. because there's you've got to look at, for for example and this is going slightly off topic questionnaires are fine but you have to use it to start a conversation because let's say you wake up and you answer your well-being questionnaire and you say you're out of five you're a five out of five for sleep you're that tired but you might have actually had a really good sleep you just woke up quite tired
0: Mm. and
1: you just you're not a morning person so when you answered your question in the morning you're a bit grumpy and you think shit I've had a bad sleep well actually you might have had eight hours of fantastic sleep and two hours after you answered the questionnaire you feel fine Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: if I read that questionnaire and didn't talk to you I'm seeing you as really bad sleep, so I might actually regress what you're doing today, or be like, and, and which is a an honourable thing. If you look at a questionnaire and you try and you go to the plan B, or you try and help the athlete out, then fine. But sometimes that's not needed. What's needed is a conversation, and you need to sit down and go, "How are you, how are you feeling now?" or go up to them and say, "Actually, I saw that you scored. Your hips were tight. Why is your hips tight?" And they might be like, "Oh, yeah, they were really tight today, but actually." I've gone and seen our movement guy that or our flexibility guy that that's helped out a little bit and actually it's fine now um, yeah. so so yeah so I think in terms of going going back to your original question we don't have like a confidence or a well-being questionnaire it's just a conversation that happens in the process in and around the process um and believe me the players will let you know if they're not confident mm. they for, for me personally I've had a few guys that Probably just need a bit of a pep talk. If yeah. you if you've been out for so long, especially with stuff like shoulder injuries, where they're going back to a high collision contact sport, you're going to be nervous. Some people have re-injured sides before. Some people have had a couple of different injuries on that on a shoulder or a hamstring injury. Like they, they just need a little bit of a tender love and care. But nine times out of ten, it it just nothing. Or oh, sorry, everything's. um kind of sorted with it just a conversation. So yeah. so yeah. Yeah. what yeah. we have started using um previous or recently and it's been driven by um Elliot, our long term injured physio, is a questionnaire after the long term injured process or the injured process to see how they feel the process went. And it's a very general question, like how how did you feel you were looked after? What was a communication like between the S and C what was a communication like between yourself and the physio?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and it's all anonymous as such like obviously if there's anyone one injured player you know what they're saying yeah. but you only know who it is sorry but it's it just helps us and we're we, yeah. I think we're very good at not taking it personally because um, mm. sometimes you do sometimes things don't go the way you want it sometimes you yeah. come across as a bit of a dick Some, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you say something that the physio has said you shouldn't be doing and you say you think you should be doing it and they're just yeah I mean so those things just get cleared up uh, but that's something we've been doing recently
0: yeah okay yeah and i guess we'll kind of move into kind of uh since you're on the strength and conditioning but also the rehab side i know like risk i guess pr- risk reduction type stuff um if that is a thing um so i guess first question do you guys do any sort of neck training strengthening training at all because i know that with the new research there's some link to concussions on it do you guys do or of trying to reduce the risk of that do you guys do any of that at all
1: um we do it as a general neck strengthening. I wouldn't okay. necessarily say we have it as a reduction in concussion it's, yeah. it's part Just and parcel yep. it's like it's, it would be the equivalent of um, doing hamstring work you don't necessarily do it directly so that they don't tear the hamstrings whilst they're running yep. but it is a fact like it's part of your thought process um, mm. in terms of training in the neck we we tend to keep things fairly isometric um in nature um don't do a th- a huge amount of through range work, I and mean, it's just because that's what we've chosen. We've just chosen especially lateral flexion and extension yep. it's it's something we don't do. I don't think the players like it too much um I think because of where the muscle is and how how sore the players can get from it, yeah. And the effect it would have on them if their neck was sore, and then that would obviously yeah. get down to their trap and their shoulder. That that can affect them a decent amount. So we found that isometrics have been fairly worthwhile. Um, forwards, in terms of their neck training, you can't neglect the fact that if they if the front if the the props and hookers and and um, second row do a decent amount of scrumaging throughout the week, they're going to get a decent load on their neck anyway. Um, yep. so again you've got to be sensible about where, you, where you're where you going with that and then also there's a lot to speak for for like contact work these guys yep. are getting concussions because of contact yep. so yes obviously you need a decent amount of strength in the neck and obviously it, there's a decent amount of research out there about neck girth and the the correlation between that so actually when we have one of the screening tests that physios do is the girth of the neck and actually I can feel the question coming. What, what is your standard? But I can't remember. So don't ask. <laughs> <It's not laughs> um, <good. laughs> um, but yeah, so, but besides that, like, are these guys tackling, like, do you have a guy that's just tackling so wrong that is set up to fail? Like, mm-hmm. Are these, are these guys technically proficient enough to get them in the position early on and read or anticipate whether the opponent's going? Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of, for in terms of the neck training and risk and towards concussions, it's more of a, a byproduct than yep. a focus, if that makes sense.
0: And then, yeah, that's right. And then, so kind of in general, too, it, or if it's is it the same thing as kind of just a byproduct? Do you do anything specific, um, like kind of on purpose to kind of reduce the risk of injuries within rugby in your strength programming? Or is it, again, just more of a byproduct thing?
1: Um yeah, I'd say it's more of a byproduct. We have a resilience program, um, and that again, that word's been thrown around, and what it actually means is fairly ambiguous. But essentially, it's just—it probably goes back to your earlier question about maintaining injuries,
0: mm. and
1: it's not necessarily just for the guys that have just got injured, but throughout the season, people might our physios or um, or the strength coaches we might identify areas in a player that we think oh actually that's something that we might need to work on or just focus on so we have we have that that we look at throughout the the week and it's just two 20-minute slots that we um we put aside to say okay we're just going to spend a little bit of time on your range of motion in your shoulder or we might spend a little bit of time on your your glute endurance just something it could even be as basic as a bit of proprioception work and i know that's very balance is very specific to the to the task but it's it could be as as low as or sorry as small as that um, and then actually I, I think if your program's not based around making sure somebody's fit and healthy for rugby you probably or you, whatever sport you're doing um, you've probably got to have a long hard look at yourself and realise have a little think why you're doing it mm. like if, if, an, if an exercise is not based around trying to get somebody better at rugby or physically prepared to be to meet the demands of the game why you why is it in there um, yeah. hey and hey, i'm all for a bit of a pump session i, I don't <laughs> don't get me wrong there's again a feel good pump is fine but i'd say 90 percent of the stuff you do probably has to be based around making sure somebody's going to perform at the weekend
0: yeah I, I do think that's kind of an amazing point of how a program i mean should be not really um i guess uh, mind-blowing but i mean just yeah. the fact that that's how it should be designed and like there yeah. shouldn't you like like i like to again how you said when you're letting a player go back to playing um they if a, a great program probably you don't have to do too much maintenance because it's already built into the program yeah yeah, yeah.
1: and it's and it's something that i think it's hard as a whole group to not yeah. want your input if you've got four physios a couple of resilience or uh rehabilitation specialists, um, couple of s and c coaches maybe a speed coach condition everybody wants their bit which is fine because that's why you're there but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to add in loads and loads of different sessions um it's just about having an open conversation with everybody in the performance department and saying Mm -hmm. do we feel that this program is exposing them to any weaknesses or improving any strengths like is this covering everything And then that helps with the returning process from a ninja guy. They come back and you should have, if you've done your review process properly, you should have a program in place that is really set up to help these guys succeed.
0: Yeah. All great points. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll finish on this last question here. What's one I like like to ask. So within the strength conditioning uh, rehab industry, what would you say your biggest pet peeve is um, that you, that you just keep telling people that trying to tell people, the opposite of it, but they just never get it through their heads, or just something that really just you just want to tell someone yeah. the right answer to it.
1: Um, it's not necessarily that I stand up and shout about, but one of the, the bigger <laughs> things that, and it's only and it's something I had initially, so I can't be too aggressive towards it, is having a like kind of a, a final test before you go back into rugby, having this mm. return to play test that suits all needs and somebody says yeah they're they're ready for rugby and I've seen it a fair few times and I still see it that people have their change direction test that they do at the end like uh, you just can't do it I think if you've if you've added in like I've said before if you add in stuff throughout the time throughout sorry throughout the process sensibly towards the end you shouldn't really be needing to condense anything or do some test you should be fairly confident that along the way you've tested everything in isolation under fatigue just in different situations. So actually, I don't feel there's a need for an end test and that's a bit of a bugbear of mine. But mm. in, in general, I actually think it's a weird thing. I feel like S&C coaches and physios like to bash their own industry. But it's all I ever see on Twitter is people saying how we True. can't think of ourselves as in the most important part of a cog. And I'm thinking, I don't think we do. I don't sit mm. in the office thinking I'm the most important person in this. Like, I think too many S&C coaches physical preparation coaches whatever the fuck they want to call themselves they they love to overthink their job we're, th- we're there to physically prepare the players and we're there to make sure they're available at the weekend and it goes back to the most cheesy saying in our industry the best ability is availability but it is kind of true Like, who cares if somebody is the strongest in the gym, if they can't perform at the weekend then I don't care, and I've, I, I know I've gone off on a tangent, but I just feel it's, it goes back to people overthinking things. Like you don't need this be-all and end-all test that covers everything. Just have your process set in place and go from there.
0: So yeah, no, I appreciate it. That's the point of the question, is to get people on a little rant about yeah. something that I feel passionate about, so I yeah. appreciate it for that.
1: I, I, um, I would say, just before you finish, I would say I'm, I'm passionate about my job, and it yes. annoys me when people that are in our job try and put themselves down and say just keep saying we're not important and we are important but we're not the most important and nobody thinks we're the most important and if you do then you're an idiot because we're not
0: yeah we are but we aren't same time yeah makes sense (laughs) uh well thanks ed for being on really appreciate your time if you want to um tell people where they can kind of follow you i don't know you have instagram and if you have any other things you put out information on or things like that yeah
1: um well yeah, Instagram's probably the main platform, so that's just Ed Lee eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Um I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet. I just use it to stalk other people. <laughs> um but on Instagram it's it's definitely not a a personal um account. It's more I I I quite like some of the stuff that the Aussie teams were doing where they were just putting exercises up and it was just opened up a conversation for people. So I just started on Instagram putting some of the videos or photos of what the injured guys were doing. Mm-hmm. Um good and bad stuff. Um so yes, yeah, so that'll probably be where people can follow me. I don't really I'm not a big Twitter user, but you can follow me on there if you want. I think it's Eddie Lee, something like that, yeah.
0: Nice. So well, yeah, thanks, thanks for again. having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being on.
1: Cheers, mate.